Hi, this is Andy of Andy's Personal Development and we are currently live in the breakout room. So, welcome and welcome and we love being here for you with quality and value to inspire and to transform. Remember, we are on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon and iTunes. Today, as usual, we have a special guest to share with you for your development and growth and to live your better informed life. So, grab a cup, pull up a seat and stay tuned for the introduction right here now, live in the breakout room. It's the place for health, happiness and prosperity. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Andy Charles, your award-winning and internationally accredited life and development coach. And we are live in the breakout room on the podcast, Andy's Personal Development. So, the place for health, happiness, and prosperity now introduces to you our special guest. Our next guest in the breakout room, Kati Sun, CEO of Body Memory Process, LLC. She's a life coach who specializes in the impact of childhood vows on the adult. Her work is called the Body Memory Process. This is Kathy. Your world, she says, you can discover and release those early life decisions so that the adult can make conscious choices in the current moment. Kathy Sun is the editor of her late husband David W. Sun's book, Escaping the Labyrinth. And you can get her ebook entitled, What You Decided Then Matters Now. She has a 36 year federal career during which time she worked in three war zones, including Sarajevo, Baghdad, and Kabul. So, let's welcome this more inspiring guest live in the breakout room, Sun. And welcome, we are live in the breakout room and so is Kat Sun. How are you doing today, my dear lady? I'm doing wonderful, Andy. Thank you so much for having me here. And thank you so much for taking the time from your busy schedule and for being with us. We really appreciate it. So let's get right into it. Um, looking at your information, you have a very intriguing and interesting life, not to mention career. But if you don't mind, I would like to start from the very beginning. And you said you had a turbulent life because you were born premature to a single mother who didn't want you. And you were adopted from an orphanage. Can you tell us as much as you can recall what that experience was like for you, Kath? Certainly. So I actually did not realize that I was adopted until mm. I was in my early 30s. Mm -hmm. uh, so wow. um, the, this was one of those stories that uh, that I have to, it's like watching a movie. It's like, okay, now I know this and now let me fill you in on the, on the background. Okay. Um, so I'll jump forward to the point where I found out uh, through a phone call with my oldest brother 
Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the, I found out that, of course, he confirmed, well, we're all three adopted. We were from different families. And I was, uh, I was shocked, even though in some, in some part of myself, probably because of what we'll talk about with this work, maybe I always knew. I'm sure that my body always knew. Okay, I just okay. mentally wasn't aware. And I didn't know how to bring up this topic with my mom until one weekend I was visiting and uh, again, about a year or more went by and I just like, oh, when is the right time? And this one day I was visiting, I was out for a walk and I all of a sudden had so much courage. I couldn't wait to get home and just sit down with mom and just get it all out. And uh, when, when we did, she said, you know, when all three of you were about seven years old, which is when they told us that you should be able to understand this. Mm-hmm. I gave you a book called The Chosen Baby. Okay. And I was like, I remember that book. I loved it. I read it over and over. She said, yes, but apparently you didn't get it was about you. Because ah. years later, you were a young teenager. And uh, I always, I got it that I was premature. Mom had told me that story and Somehow that, you know, that stuck with me. And one day I said to her something like, it must have been really scary when I was born or premature. And then she realized I didn't I didn't get it. And she said, you know, I went through uh, your you'll never know how many times I talked to your dad about when do we bring this up? Because we realized she doesn't get it. Yes. We never knew when the time was going to be right. And I said, Wow, I went through the same thing. I said, when I found out from my brother, I didn't know how to talk to you. And it was so Mm -hmm. healing because we had this very similar experience. Um, She did tell me that uh, my my birth mother um, was probably very very young. It was a Catholic adoption, so she didn't Mm -hmm. know a whole lot. She didn't know that it was a very violent beginning. It wasn't, it was a birth, but it was actually... Uh, I was only about uh, six months gestation. So mm. when she tried to do a home abortion, yeah, um, yeah, I ended up being born and I was in an incubator for a while. <laughs> so I can tell a little story later on about how one of my own vows was related to being in an incubator for a while. Wow. Um, I, will, I will say uh, I've, I look back on that. I, I don't know anything about, you know, my birth mom. Um, I ultimately thank her because I'm sure she was doing the best that she could. Right. And right, she, right. I did end up with a wonderful family. So that, uh, that was all good. Um, and I thank her because I think I'm as resilient uh, and strong <laughs> as I am. Um, yes. Because of my beginnings in life. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing, Kat. That was quite emotional. And I love the way in which you iterated the importance of understanding where you came from and how the resilience in your life now makes a difference. Very interesting. How did you end up spending 36 years uh, as a a federal career? What did you decide to do when that that opportunity came and and how was that experience like for you? It it was amazing. Um, I started out with four years in the Army. Uh-huh. I had gone into college and uh, was not very focused. Um, <laughs> so I, I went into pre-med mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I found that while I was, uh, let's just say that because I started, um, I, I was trained in piano and voice uh, when I was, uh, I started when I was about 12 with that. Okay. 
I was spending more time once I got to college in the fine arts building than I was in the library. Okay. <laughs> so um, I was a little confused. I wasn't really sure. I, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. Um, mm -hmm. I love the idea of being in the medical field. Um, but again, that, that's not the way uh, uh, that that confusion was playing out to the point where it was having an impact on, on my grades. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, then I, then I went into nursing school. I thought, well, okay, instead of being a zoology major, I'll be a nursing major. That'll give me a job to do. And I can kind of figure out from there. The, right. the problem didn't it just shifted. <laughs> you know how that happened, right? Our <laughs> yeah, problems yeah. just follow us. That's right. Um, that's right. And so instead of being in the fine arts building, I was, uh, you know, playing piano in local clubs because I was in a, a city where I was going to school. Mm -hmm. I was like, that wasn't working. <laughs> so, you know, I, I sort of at that point, I think, hit kind of bottom in my life. Um, okay. I, I was like, what am I going to do? I have all of these student loans. Well, my dad said, uh, you know, that I was um, went into my parents room that uh, and I was like, it was already late. And I said, what am I going to do? And my dad said, let's talk over breakfast. So mm -hmm. my dad worked for electric uh, boat, uh, part of general dynamics up in Connecticut. And uh, he worked with the Navy and he said, you know, I have an idea for you. Uh, so I think this will be a big way for you to focus, maybe gain uh, some self-esteem because uh -huh. of what you've, the failures that you've had up until now. And I did end up going in the military and it was going to be the Navy at first. Then we shifted to Army because it was the Army that at that time was going to pay my student loans. Okay, I understand. So I could start with a clean slate. And my dad was so right. Those four years in the Army were instrumental in my really finding myself, you know, getting that confidence. And it really set me up for what was a very successful career with the Defense Department. Um, the job that I had just, just, brought me uh, to a lot of different locations, uh, including the, the war zones. And um, I, it really enriched me. Uh, and uh, during it was during this time uh, that I met my husband mm -hmm. and uh, learned about his work and started to apprentice with him. But it was kind of a part-time thing because I was still working uh, full-time. Okay, great. So I'm, in, I'm interested you spent 36 years in the military. You met your husband uh, in 1994, and you also had the opportunity to work in three war zones. Mm -hmm. What was that experience like for you in those war zones, and, and what were some of the lessons that you learned as a result? Yeah, I, I think that uh, facing my own fears uh, uh -huh. at, at first was big. I do, am, am I going to be safe, right? That's the sort of yes. one of the first things. Yes. And, uh, you know, it was probably 9-11 for me that really, I always thought that doing, you know, defense work for the United States was important. And then after 9-11, it shifted into more of a, you know, really a sense of mission. Yes. And uh, I, I started really appreciating, again, I was a civilian at that point, and okay. I started uh, appreciating the fact that military families don't get a choice. Mm -hmm. um, I actually got a choice. I mean, these jobs were available yep, yep. and I, you know, put up my hand and I realized that sometimes parents uh, needing to be uh, need to be role models for their children. And that doesn't necessarily always meaning with being with them. Right. And uh, especially when uh, I had the opportunity to do a six month deployment in Afghanistan, 
I, you know, I, I, I didn't want to leave. I had young children at the time. Wow. Um, I still had my husband who mm -hmm. came from a military family. He understood mission. Right, and, right. Uh, you know, he said, look, if this is this important to you, it's important to me and we'll work it out. And, uh, you know, it all it really all worked out, uh, especially I, I don't think, uh, to be honest, that I would have done it if there weren't the opportunity to do FaceTime. All the time. I understand. Um, yeah. yeah, I went in at the period of time when it was almost as good as being there. Not quite. Uh, I really right. wanted to hold my children, uh, but otherwise I could remain uh, alive to them. Um, you know, mom's just working, and uh, mm -hmm. it's not, uh, like they could and just sort of forget <laughs> forget about me over six months. I didn't have. I could deal, you know, with that fear. Um, and so, yes, I I realized uh, that. Uh, the mission was more important than my fear. I was able to get uh, in front of that. And that continues to serve me well in life. Right. Thanks for sharing, Kat. That is so important. And it's a very um, important lesson also for a lot of people to learn and to understand in terms of overcoming their fears, which yeah. takes me right into something that happened. It says that when you met your husband, David, you became exposed to a unique healing method. It was the body memory process. You want to tell us about that, please? Sure. Well, before I talk about the process, uh -huh. it's important to understand what is body memory. Right. Uh, because the process is essentially a way to, to deal with that impact. Okay. So I'd like to start talking about body memory in a way that your viewers can relate. Um, so one very common experience is having learned how to ride a bike when you're little and mm -hmm. maybe you haven't ridden in a while and uh, you wonder, gee, can I still do it? An opportunity comes up, you pull out the old bike and you hop on and it may be a little bit slow at first, but before you know it, you're like, Hey, this is like I rode yesterday. Okay. Uh, that's body memory because right. your body remembers how to balance. It's all there for you still. Right. Another uh, common experience is you have a car that has a gear shift in a certain place, and then you rent a car where maybe the gear shift is in a different area. Uh, this has certainly happened to me where uh, I'm, you know, sort of, you know, pawing at the air for where my body thinks the gear shift should be. <laughs> um, and it means because, you know, it's, if it's, you find that in a lot of things in life, that this is where I had it. Maybe you, you move, uh, I made the mistake one day of moving the clock. Yeah, and my husband was like, "Why did you move that clock? Because I'm always looking at the blank wall above the refrigerator, right? Right, <laughs> and the right. clock is over there. Because yes. when you're doing something for a period of time, you know, your body knows. Okay, where's the clock? I know where to look. You know, I know where that gear shift should be. Mm -hmm. um, other common experiences are repetitive behaviors where your body lear learns that." Um, um, that that thing that you try and do, like a, yeah. uh, learn a piece of music on the piano or dancing or a sport. And so you end up actually performing the whole. You're not thinking about the individual steps. Uh, right. Really a blessing because it would be it would be difficult if you had to remember every single step. Yes. yes. At the point of trying to perform. So that's how. Body memory serves us. I, I think body mm -hmm. memory serves us very well. Now, where the difficulty comes in is uh, another aspect of body memory, and that's that it uh, is instrumental in uh, the way that we 
hold trauma. We hold emotions right. from that trauma. Yeah. So I'm going to talk a little bit about some research that was done in the 1980s that really helped us to understand the mechanism of this. Mm-hmm. So there's a lady by the name of Dr. Candace Pert who was doing research at the National Institute of Mental Health. And she discovered that uh, information that's generated by strong emotions, such as from trauma, mm-hmm. is carried by neuropeptides to receptors um, that uh, receive and store this information all over the body. Wow. And she actually made a quote in her work that deep traumatic events become deeply entrenched in the body. Hmm. And, and that's essentially you know, where it all, that, that's the crux of okay. it all. Okay. Now, this was actually a pretty, a pretty staggering discovery, um, but I, I don't think as a whole that, you know, humanity understands the implications of this. Okay. Uh, you know, if uh, there's a discovery that's made from research that um, has to do with a, uh, say, technology, companies are scrambling to productize it, right? Okay. Um, there's something called bench to bedside uh, research where mm-hmm. medical researchers might come up with a way uh, uh, that, uh, you know, um, something that a pharmaceutical company can take and turn into a medicine for someone who's ill. Yeah. But there's no real mechanism in place to take research that makes such a discovery as Dr. Pertz um, to uh, to help us to be to be well, to to be able to help to help to heal ourselves. And I think that's because. Technology solves a problem, you know, uh, medical research solves a problem, but I don't think that we understand that, you know, wellness is a problem. You okay. know, how, how do we sell, solve the wellness problem? I think we're coming along. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, folks such as yourself, um, having these podcasts, reaching out to people, I, I think that we absolutely are starting to tackle this, um, right. you know, as right. a problem. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I think people tend to think of prob- solving problems because something's bad and we got to fix it. Um, in this case, you know, a lot of times, you know, uh, this work is about maybe nothing really seems to be wrong in our lives, but how can we evolve? How can we actually experience more of life? How can we how can we better ourselves and move humanity along and and uh, and that type of thing? So um, I, this is was really uh, a, a, one of the big aspects of the research that uh, David pulled together. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit about David at this point. Um, my uh, late husband, David. You Wood, can go uh, ahead. Go right ahead, Kat. I'd love to talk Let's about him. Yes, um, please. Uh, so uh, when David was 14 years old, he was pronounced dead from double staph pneumonia. Wow. He was without respirations and without pulse and he came back and he actually did have one of those near-death experiences mm-hmm. uh, that uh, you know Dr. Moody wrote about and um, that we hear a lot of people talk about. Yeah. And he came back, again, he was only 14, but he said, um, I, I felt different and I felt like I was going to do something with my life that was going to be important. Okay. Um, so over the years, as he was growing up, doctors would tell him, uh, you know, you're you're never going to really be well. Um, your your oh. lungs are scarred um, because of the the illness, and uh, you know you're never going to be able to be really, um, and, you know, active and and really be well. 
he didn't like this. And he, I think he set about to prove them wrong. Uh, right. and, uh, and so he kept, you know, they also were telling him he may not live past this certain age. Well, he okay. would live past this yeah. certain age and, and yeah. say, and uh, so he, after he got out of college, he started researching what it, what all of the body of knowledge about wellness. Mm-hmm. Now, this was back in the, um, uh, like around the, 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 uh, the, Human potential movement was started, I think, about in the 60s. He okay. eventually sort of walked into the human potential movement. And uh, this is where he learned, uh, did, took trainings. And mm-hmm. of course, he did a lot of book research. And he started pulling together major things. Uh, Ken, Dr. Kanspert's work, um, what she was discovering about the physiological um, aspects, uh, the fact that we um, create a reality from beliefs. That was another big part. So what, what is the wisdom through the ages? Um, he tr- even traveled, uh, studied with, um, with, you know, far Eastern masters. Uh, he traveled and, yeah. and actually did that. Yeah. And, uh, he pulled together a lot, uh, from these different disciplines. Uh, he also pulled from the fact that babies are, um, more conscious than we realize, uh, okay. so, um, yes. in, in yeah. the womb. Interesting. Um, and and at birth, and we'll I'll talk a little bit more about that when I talk about the uh, body memory process. Mm-hmm. So all of this, all of this aspects of body memory, all of the things that came into play for him to create um, the body memory process, mm-hmm. um, is 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 how this work came about. Uh, so I can I can talk about the body memory process now, which is essentially <laughs> um, I could boil it down to discovering. Uh, what were these um, decisions that we made out of the trauma? You know, how did all this, how did all of that happen? So this is how to deal with it. Now let's talk about um, vows. Yes. So uh, David calls them vows and there's um, other researchers who have referred to them a little differently, but the, their, 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 um, the, the other terms means something just a little bit different. And I'll explain one. Uh, Dr. Deepak Chopra, who I think a lot of folks are familiar with, talks about premature cognitive commitments. So this is a leap to conclusion um, before we have a lot of experience and knowledge about something. And there's a lot, uh, a way to understand this is actually looking at the animal kingdom um, Mm -hmm. where there's um, actually these sort of decisions that are made, but they're not sophisticated that we're talking about people. Yes, yes. So in India, they'll take a baby elephant uh, and they will chain um, a baby elephant to a post um, Uh if they want to, you know, they're, They've gone to the local <laughs> where they're going to go shopping or something. I don't know. They've ridden their elephant. Um, they, 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 they chain the elephant so that uh, um, when the elephant, and I guess they just maybe discovered this when they, mm-hmm. by accident, somebody yeah. forgot to chain the elephant and the elephant just stood there. Wow. And researchers found that this was because of what Deepak Chopra terms premature cognitive commitments. So premature right. because, you know, we don't, you know, the, the, ele- the elephant is like, okay, I'm going to be here. And it happens all the time. So, you know, it, but the elephant grows here. up yeah. and even yeah. when the chain isn't there anymore, big implications 
yes. uh, what we're going to talk about with vows. Yes. Um, they even they've they've separated fish tanks with a um, a glass partition, and then mm -hmm. when they take the partition away, um, the fish will not swim in the other parts. In the other, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Wow. Uh, uh, so uh, Barbara Ann Brandon talks about uh, frozen psychic time blocks, uh, is mm. what he calls it. Um, and she talks about it in terms of the aura, yes. um, that, that this is noted, and uh, and David called them vows. So, vows are very closely related to, um, you know, other there's other terms that are close, right? We talk about agreements, mm -hmm. um, but a vow is something that is. It's not, agreements tend to be, if you do this, I'll do that. But he says a vow is um, like a wedding vow. You know, yes. it's not like you you get some, there's some bargain that's made. It's like, there's a statement that's made. I will be this way. You know, I will do this. I will cherish you. I will, you know, will love you as long, you know, as I'm on this earth um, yeah. and sickness and in health and all of that. So that is a vow. I, I like to think of, um, gone with the wind when she says as god is my witness i will never go hungry again yes, and yes, if yes, you yes. watch that scene and you you know that's the emotional content that's right there. right now right. what we're going to talk about in a moment is it's not necessarily so dramatic as you know this scene on, on you know gone with the wind but it is that dramatic kind of on the inside of um, the little being uh, who is making this decision. Um, so vows, through David's research, he found out that vows actually show up um, in, there's actually four types associated with the different aspects, uh, sort of time periods of our lives, mm -hmm. our mm -hmm. early lives. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to sort of work backwards. So uh, they show up in um, infants and children. Mm -hmm. And again, a lot of this, um, it takes a little bit of time for people to kind of wrap their minds around what I'm going to say next. So okay. I ask your viewers to bear with me here. Please keep your sure, mind open. Sure, sure. Because, you know, we tend to think about, uh, you know, intercommunication as being largely verbal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when these decisions are being made, uh, the child is not even, um, is not verbal, is not logical. Right, and that's part of what makes it so powerful because you're talking about a very pure experience. It's all feeling, and um, it's very immature, and so it tends to be almost binary. So okay. things are very intense, and it's a or is intensely bad. Wow! And uh, so when there is articulation given to these vows, which again has come about through. Um, David's work for clients for over 30 years is these vows started to emerge and the clients would articulate them in a way that a lot of times you hear children talk and they involve words like always and never um, and, uh, you know, um, this, these absolute words, because, you know, to a child in their very small world, um, you know, they don't have an idea that, okay, things could change. Like they don't have a lot of information. It's yeah. they're living in the now. And, uh, and so they think, you know, it's kind of like, it's always going to be this way. Okay. Um, I get that. Yeah. So, uh, so that is one time and I'll give some examples, you know, in a few minutes so people can, uh, can have a, uh, an understanding of, of what a vow is. Yes. So it, ha it happens during, um, this time period, it happens at birth. Mm -hmm. So birth trauma is uh, something that's been 
uh, researched a lot. There's a lot of information, books and, and articles about um, birth trauma. And it's not difficult to understand because, you know, we all know that the, the, uh, the child, uh, you know, has to go through, um, you know, the birth process, which may go well or might not. But the whole idea that, you know, the labor that's involved, how long is that? Um, you know, and is the is the baby positioned in the correct way? And yes, you know, there's any number of things that can go wrong. Um, and then, you know, after the, uh, it's not just about what's happening during the birth process, but there could be something said in the in the birth room. Um, there's nothing uh, really special about this one, meaning it was a perfect birth. Yes, maybe something like that was said. And this is actually a true vow that came out, and through the um, Davis work with this client. They said that when I talked to my mom, it was like, no, 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 there was no problem. But this is what the doctor said. And this client had a vow. There's nothing special about me. Oh, and, wow. And that came, you know, that played out in their self-esteem and, you know, and whatnot. Yeah, it, it's yeah. amazing how, how powerful, you know, all of this is. Now, we start working back to from birth to in the womb. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's there's a connection with mom, a deep connection with mom. And so they've done research here. And yeah. uh, again, they found that, you know, it's amazing that there's been articles in Time and Newsweek talking that about how if the um, if the child doesn't get uh, enough to eat, say there's a, you know, I don't know, a famine. <laughs> it may not be that, you know, but maybe mom isn't eating well. They've they've done research and they found that that child and later in life um, might have um, you know issues with trying to keep their weight under control okay. Okay. because there's a vow there there's not enough for me okay and, and I get so, it um, they can never get enough right and they yes. have a problem with being able to stop eating um, and so the, another reason why vows are formed in the womb is parents' expectations there are. Mm. Um, uh, vows that come out, you know, I will be a boy, you know, I'm a girl, but, um, dad really wants a boy because there's a whole bunch of girls in the family. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, again, wow. uh, the, the, the conclusions that came from this work is through purely, um, you know, mostly David's research of working with these clients for over 30 right. years. Right. Um, now, it may be new, you know, to, to, to you have to kind of stop and think about that, like, really? Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, again, it's not like he made it up. It's because he had so many, and he he uh, um, he had lots and lots of tapes, and uh, his tapes were, of course, you know, he had the confidentiality and anonymity yeah. with his clients. Yes. But they have that content of, you know, the clients talking about, you know, here's here was my experience. Mm -hmm. um, so here's so here's the vows. This is how they have played out in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, again, it's, it's just amazing that the children who might have decided if girls decide to be boys, that they have what's, what they would call the boy promise. And uh -huh. it comes out now that they're tomboys. Um, but it oh, might. Oh, yeah, I get that. that. I get um, that. They could even um, end up with um, like female medical issues because mm -hmm. you know their their body has there's this struggle even within themselves um, okay. to, to be a girl when they, you know have yeah, so much energy boy. behind yeah. being a boy. Yeah. Um, now here's one that will really surprise everyone, um, and that uh, again this is through research 
and talking with clients that David said there must be some connection even with conception. So right, there right. are vows that have come out. I am, I am an accident is one of them, a big one. Um, people have said, uh, I wasn't planned. I wasn't wanted. And I found out that I was accident prone. And it, mm. and this came out in research so many times. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of hard to get there trying to think about it logically. Yes. But apparently yeah. on, uh, you know, some type of energy level, the being who is coming in must already be connecting with the energy, you know, from mom and mom finds out she's pregnant. If she has that disappointment, there's an impact, you know, I'm oh, an accident. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's all my fault. So all yeah. of a sudden um, it's a big upheaval for mom because she didn't plan me and now her yeah. whole life is going to change. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so those are two big ones um, from uh, uh, conception that I can recall offhand. And so the body memory process, all of this is based upon the idea that, um, you know, there is this trauma that can happen at these four major areas of very young life. Mm -hmm. And the uh, child who is, by the way, very egocentric. Um, and so, you know, we have to be right at that age. We have to be because it's a survival thing. You know, yeah. I'm sure that's why we're yeah. wired that way. You know, we're very dependent upon these big people. We know that. Um, they're the ones who feed us and, you know, take care of us. Um, and so if uh, I'll give you an example now. Of, mm -hmm. of so say I'm, um, say, two or three years old and I'm sitting on dad's knee and, uh, you know, daddy's not around much. Um, and okay. uh, so maybe he's very busy. Maybe he travels for his work. And uh, I'm with him this one day and he says, you know, you will always be my good little girl. And somewhere uh, inside of me, I'm like, uh, got it. You know, yes, I will yes. always, I will always be your good little girl. Yes, because yes, yes. I'm in this mo very emotional moment um, where I'm connecting with daddy. I really love his attention. And this is what he's told me. And Dr. Candace is it. Yes, 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 carried yes. by those neuropeptides and it's in there. Now it's in there. I will always be wow. here. Okay. Wow. So, okay. Who cares? Right. I've got this. Go. <laughs> yes. Well, it may not cause me any problems when I'm a little girl, mm. but what about when I'm a grown woman and uh -huh. I still have this vow and uh, now I'm interacting with my boss yes. who brings up, you know, daddy issues because maybe, you know, he's just, you know, powerful. Maybe he's not around much, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to get activated and all okay. of a sudden, you know, I'm giggling or whatever, acting like a, you know, a little girl. Yes. Yes. And maybe other people can even see it and it, you know, it nauseates them, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I don't even notice it. Right. Yes. Because that vow is in place. Wow. And so the, the body memory process mm -hmm. is a way to discover, you know, what are these vows? And then there's a way to release, which I can get into in a few minutes. Um, the there have been almost a thousand vows that have been discovered and again uh david thankfully uh, was recording all of this um he was recording it uh, in, on paper and with his um his work with clients uh -huh. and uh, we were able to capture again i uh, mentioned earlier that i had edited his book uh, yes. when i first met him he 
had these big, long 60-page uh, computer files, <laughs> just, you know, full of information. And he, one day he said, I got I to gotta figure out pulling all this apart. So tonight, don't worry about it. I said, I'm good at doing that. I'll help get the, into a book format. You just get all the information down. Um, and so I started, you know, pulling all of these vows out and we were able to uh, generate a list. Um, and then we, we started to create ways that people can actually use this in the discovery process. Mm -hmm. um, and David had put together a body map. Um, okay. There's a way that, you know, the front, the side, wherever uh, pain or tension in our body shows up is a clue. Yeah. Um, so that's would be subjective information. And people can use this body map now. Um, I have a multimedia course where people can use this body map and they can, you know, go to the, the section which talks about these are the different types of decisions that um, mm -hmm. you've made. And it's because we have energy. Uh, your listeners might be familiar with the, the chakra system of the body. Um, yeah. We have these energy systems in the body and that's um, that's key to the body map. Um, okay. Where these, um, so I'll give you a quick example from me. Um, I would carry uh, sort of in my uh, left scapula area, I had a, um, it always was this big kind of pain right there. I can never really mm -hmm. get it to relax, even with massage. And so I worked with my husband on mm -hmm. this and uh, we uncovered that um, my my adoptive mom yeah. was very protective. And a lot of times uh, I think that the way that she her lo her love came across to me uh, appeared to be kind of conditional. Okay. So you yeah, know yeah, she yeah. made a lot of demands on me that I um, just way into my uh, adult years um, she was trying to kind of direct my life. <laughs> you know, wow, um, wow, wow. and I, I think she just couldn't let go. Um, I think again, and I I don't falter from it. I I think. It's again, uh, you know, she adopted three children and, you know, she had her little girl and I don't think she wanted to let her little, little girl go. Um, and, but from the body map, I was able to, um, by using this map, I was able to discover because it was on the left side, it's female um, issues, mm -hmm. something going on with the female issues. Yeah. Um, back was, is about how the, the world relates to me, a friend okay. is I relate to the world, yeah. but it was, um, I could decode this pain to the body map mm -hmm. and it was between my heart chakra and my communication chakra. So you think about the, you know, that scapula area, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, not scapula, what do you call it in the back? Um, the, that's scapula, what they, the upper shoulder area. Yeah. The upper left, uh, shoulder yeah. located between those two chakras. And the vow that came out of this work is, um, you know, it, it had to do with how um, my my mom um, showed expressed love to me. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, you know, the vow was something like, well, you know, mom, uh, you know, mom loves me um, conditionally or something like. That. I I don't I don't remember now exactly the like the yeah, word of that vow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I worked with it and I released it, um, and I don't have that pain anymore. Um, so how powerful, <laughs> you know, the work Thank is, yes. and this is what David always said, you know, our pain is a message, you know, our bodies, we're not supposed to have pain. If uh, pain is only a message that, you know, something you, you need to pay attention to something. Interesting. Um, uh, I, I thoroughly personally believe that disease is only that final, that final stage. 
um, that way before disease uh, manifests and becomes full blown so that we can actually see these multiple mm -hmm. symptoms. Yeah. There's an imbalance in the body. Yes. And, you know, there is some, you know, water, you know, whatever it is, there's something that's unbalanced. If we teach ourselves to tune into these messages, um, we're going to be doing ourselves a great service. Not only will we be able to dis discover these decisions that we made, uh, but by learning to just listen to our body, we'll be able to become very sensitive to if something isn't right, and we'll be able to take care of it before it becomes a disease, and we can keep ourselves really healthy that way. Wow. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Kati, you have been giving us a clinic and we're going to take a little break now and give you a chance to catch your breath a little bit, so to speak. But it has been so deep and, and, and so very informative and interesting. I've learned a lot, and I'm sure the folks that are listening have learned a lot as well. And this is what we are about, people, to teach you how to embrace life on all levels, to embrace health, happiness, and prosperity. So we're going to go on a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with our special guest, Katzen in the breakout room. Stand by. FindRadioGuest.com, the place to click to find guests to interview for free. And if you're a radio show booker, podcaster, talk show host, or television producer, then this is the place to get podcasts and radio interviews or promote your books and products as a guest expert sponsor. FindRadioGuest.com, check it out. Hi, people. This is a special invitation for you to join our community. Yes, we're inviting you to join our community for 2022. What's in store? Well, what we want is your feedback on our content and our guests, but more so on what you need to be inspired and transformed from your current condition to one of happiness, health, and prosperity. So drop us a line and reach out. Help us to better help you achieve your goals. So, people, inbox me at www.facebook.com slash mddreamer slash. That's www.facebook.com slash mddreamer slash. Or send me an email at lovebitsa at gmail.com. That's lovebitsa at gmail.com. We love hearing from you as we build our partnership in growth and development. And we look forward to your communicator. Help us to help you to live a better life in personal growth and development from Andy's personal development. We love you. We look forward to hearing from you. See you soon. Bye for now. And we are back live with Katsan in the breakout room on Andy's personal development. And she's been giving us a clinic, a workshop indeed, on this very important system called the body memory process. So, Katy, tell us a bit about Escaping the Labyrinth and your work as you had uh, indicated before as the editor uh, of this special book that was uh, made possible by David. Sure. Uh, so Escaping the Labyrinth is an explanation of uh, what I've been talking about here. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, it will, um, it starts with uh, David's journey. 
and yeah. um, goes into some of the things that you know that he discovered. Um, it uh, goes through uh, uh, what is a vow, a lot of information about vows. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, just it's all at every stage. Mm -hmm. um, it goes into the articulation of the vow. Um, again, we right. don't have time to really get into that now. Mm -hmm. Yes, fascinating uh, when you uh, when you can see all of the different ways that vows can be worded, and just those words create those little nuances in the the way that clients have um, experienced, uh, you know, the effect of the vow in their life. And then it goes into the body memory process homework. Um, and, mm. It explains uh, what we need to do for 90 days in order to release those vows. Okay. Uh, so, you know, David used to always say the, the good news, uh, I mean, the bad news is that, you know, you created this. And the good news is that you created this because we can create uh, something new. But what's really important is you, you uh, and I think that this is, comes from, uh, from our friends in the, in the Far East, who tell us about the, the master who was pouring a cup of tea and the student said, uh, oh, um, you know, master, teach me everything you know. And he keeps pouring the tea and the tea overflows the cup. And he says, uh, master, my, my cup is full. And he says, so is your mind. You know, I cannot <laughs> teach you. Yes, and, yes, I like and, that. And so, uh, uh, you know, David would say, affirmations are great. You know what? You know you can say, but you can say all day long. I am a powerful woman. Yes. So if you yes. have these uh, this little vow in place uh, that says, you know, it's all my fault, and you know, I, I um, I'm not good enough. Uh, that's another very common vow. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that are operating in that. You know, we've seen the iceberg, right? Mm -hmm. We, we mm -hmm. see the tip of the iceberg. If yeah. all of these vows are just swirling around. Uh, to use sort of a visual, you know, in this in this submerged part of that iceberg, then you can say these affirmations. But ultimately, you know, we all know how powerful it is. We have all the best intentions in the world and we're going to change our behavior. And then before we know it, we're back to doing the, what we always yeah, did. Yeah. And wondering of, why. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. And so the body memory process is about emptying the cup on the physical level. So there's a part of the process for the physical level, yes. for the spiritual level and the mental uh -huh. level. Wow. The, the book um, will describe. I think one of the most exciting things about escaping the labyrinth is that there are appendices in the back mm -hmm. and uh, there's just a lot, it's just packed full uh, of information. So there are those vowel tables back there. Um, and I'll talk a, a moment about um, the multimedia course that's available that is a lot easier to work with than these vowel tables. But that yeah. was the first way that this information was collated and presented was in these appendix in the back of this book. Okay. Um, there's also uh, back there uh, client case studies. So there's 25 case studies. And they're, um, again, in the interest of space, we've had to sort of code them uh, mm -hmm. and put them in a table form, yeah. Um, yeah. which is like, you know, here, here was the vow. Um, this was, you know, when, what type of vow it was, um, sort of how it was created, what was the experience of the client, and then what was the impact on the client's life from doing the body memory process. Um, and there's, yeah. there's 25 of those in there. Um, there's a section that builds upon Louise Hay's work. Um, everyone might be familiar with her How to Heal Your Life. Yeah. And yeah. Um, uh, Louise Hay very much uh, understood that the, there's 
if we have any type of a disease, it's something that's going on um, that we pay attention yeah, to, yeah, right? Yeah, a, yeah, um, and yeah. so there was a lot of information that she had that she and David were friends and she gave him permission to be able to, um, you know, take her work and then uh, and, and state it in the back of the book and then see and show how the body memory process adds to uh, her work. Wow, <laughs> fantastic. On that note, we're going to bring this very interesting, intriguing and informative episode to an end, maybe to continue at another time in the future because it's so deep and fascinating. Very interesting stuff. And I saw her face light up that is when she spoke about the different aspects of the book and called um, Escaping the Labyrinth. Okay, so Kat, what I'm going to do is give you about 30 seconds to share with our listeners how they can make contact with you and get in touch with the process if they need the information, if they need the value of what you have to do or share with them uh, your social handles and so on. So I'm going to be out of the the shadow of you for a minute as you give them that information. So go ahead. Sure. Uh, so you can reach me several ways. Um, one is going to my website, bodymemoryprocess.com. There is a lot of information. You'll see some things I've been talking about today. Um, you can go to, uh, for, first of all, you can download a free ebook called What You Decided Then Matters Now. And you can go to the bookstore and you can order a copy of Escaping the Labyrinth. Um, right now, um, you would be able to do that by contacting me um, so that I can uh, send you the book. Um, you can also order, there's a link there to um, Amazon Kindle. We had republished Escaping the Labyrinth as Your Childhood Vows and Now, which is a uh, revised version of the book. Um, just nothing really substantive, but a, a more updated uh, copy um, so that it could also be available electronically. You'll also see in the bookstore area of the website that you can uh, click on, uh, there's a link there you can click. It goes to heal.me slash BMP, which is where you can uh, sign up for um, coaching with me. Um, with uh, the, uh, you can access the multimedia course entitled um, Discover Your Childhood Vows, Change Your Life. And you have the option to either do that course completely on your own, or you could have a discussion with me, do the course, and then have some coaching at the point where you believe you have your set of vows. And then uh, uh, you can um, have more coaching uh, uh, you know, later on if needed. Um, so those are the ways to, um, to reach me. And you can also uh, reach me at info at bodymemoryprocess.com. I'm also on Facebook um, and on, uh, on all the social media sites. And my website has those links. Okay. okay. Thank you so much for sharing, Kat. And thank you so much for taking the time to be with us and to give us these wonderful pockets of information. And interestingly, the body memory process, how much is it available to all those who need that information? I'm going to check into it myself. So people, until next time, this is Andy of Andy's Personal Development in the breakout room with Kat San saying so long, Godspeed. 
Shalom. Namaste. Remember the three watchwords, health, happiness, and prosperity. Keep them at the top of your purpose in life. Until next time, stay safe and keep love at the front of your life. Bye for now.